Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Later in the show, I'll speak with Marlena Robbins, owner of Nahasan Pigments. Nadine Greinig talks to us about the Save Our Schools Arizona Network. And I'll chat with Danielle Goldtooth, mixologist at Wild Arizona Cuisine. On the phone with me is Javier Pelias, Veterans Workforce Specialist with the Arizona Department of Economic Security. Welcome to our show, Javier. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. And can you let us know what is Arizona Department of Economic Security's Veterans Service Program? Well, what we do here is we, uh, it's a program developed to give veterans opportunities to obtain employment and job training in Arizona. Um, most el- uh, eligible veterans are entitled to what we call priority of service for job referrals and training uh, by the uh, Veterans Workforce Specialist staff. How do you help veterans with resumes? What we do with, re- uh, with resumes is we'll sit down one-on-one with a veteran and uh, we will look at their, the job that they're applying for. What we'll do is we help target the resume. We will look out for keywords um, that could uh, effectively allow them to um, put a resume that will be focused for the job that they're applying for. But even before we do that, we will do an inventory with them, looking at um, their skills, what they did in the military, how can that transition into civilian work, and then from there on, we'll go ahead and start creating a resume for them. And you also would look into an a employment plan. Can you let us know what is an employment plan and how do you create one? Yes, an employment plan is something really personal and specific to a veteran. What we do is we will sit down with the veteran and ask him a series of questions, their objectives, career goals, any obstacles they may have. And it becomes a, a contract, an unofficial contract, between the veteran and a veteran service uh, specialist like myself highlighting what we're going to do together, what they'll do individually, what I'm going to do on my end. Putting this together give us a framework on how we can uh, have them find employment. Can you tell us a little bit about successful interview techniques and how you coach someone on this? Okay. So what we do with veterans is we explain to them the STAR technique. And what does STAR stand for? STAR basically it is, um, we tell them to, S means situation. What was the situation at hand? T, task. What did you have to do to rectify whatever situation um, was presented? A, what was your action plan? How did you actively resolve the question or the situation? And then R means results. Um, what were the results? How this is employed in a, in a uh, resume uh, in an interview is basically um, used for situational uh, questions, behavioral questions. Uh, veterans will ask, "How did you overcome um, a, a, a hard uh, team meeting, or how did you resolve an issue with another colleague?" This allows you to stay on point and focused um, to answer the question. It's a good template because, as you know, we all get nervous doing interviews and we will have a tendency to go off trail. With the STAR technique, it allows anyone really to 
to actually answer the question and stay um, within the framework of your answer. That is a, a great technique to use for interviews. Thank you for sharing that. What job search tools do you use? Oh, yes. One of the premium ones that we use uh, is Arizona Job Connection, AJC. And that is a big, that is a database um, composed of jobs that are brought in by clients directly to Arizona working with our business uh, service coordinators. Um, we use those. It's also tied into jobs that are within um, Indeed. So we use that tool as well. Um, we use a lot of um, connections within the county, uh, people advertising with us. We will direct our veterans to that. Um, I'll do a lot of one-on-one -on -one search uh, using LinkedIn as well. So it really depends on um, the veteran, his scope of work, um, and we tap into like every possible um, job search engine out there. But our primary one is Arizona Job Connection. Can you tell us more about what the Veteran Toolkit Program is? Yes, the Veteran Toolkit Program is a fantastic uh, tool for veterans who obtain employment. That is um, a program that has was started uh, with the um, Arizona Department of Veteran Services. What that allows us to do is tap into resources for a veteran to obtain whatever he may need to be job ready for day one. So for example, if a veteran uh, obtained a job as a construction worker, he may need to have um, a hard hat, uh, reflective vest, steel toe boots, tools, jeans, and um, work clothes. So what we do is we'll sit down with the veteran, um, we verify employment, and uh, using uh, Amazon, we are able to order this, uh, whatever he may need and have a drop ship to his house uh, within two days. This way he can go to work and be effective right from the get-go. And do you have any favorite success stories? Yes, I one that comes to mind, and this was a, 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 um, a collaborative, um, because as you know, um, within the veteran community, we, we really take care of our own. So I had a single mom come see me one day and um, she had left uh, Phoenix. Uh, she was in an abusive situation and had come down to Tucson and was staying in a hotel. Now her funding uh, was basically done. She didn't have any more money. She was on her last night. She needed a job. She needed a place to stay with her son. Um, and she was living, afraid to live in a car. So I picked up the phone. I called a, a contact over at the VA. They were able to set her up immediately with housing for the next day so that she was covered. That Monday, it was a weekend, that Monday she came in, we put together a resume for her and she applied and she got a job within two days as a medical assistant. As soon as she got that offer letter, I went ahead and we ordered her a brand new set of scrubs, a couple pairs of shoes, everything she needed. And I just received an email from her three months ago telling me that She's getting ready to buy a home. Um, she's been promoting her job and how thankful she was for what we did for her, especially when she had no money, no place to go. And that, for me, was a heartwarming story because that was just a whole veteran community rallying around. We used all our resources 
and literally three years later, she is in a position where she can buy a house for her and her son. So yeah, that was a great story. Well, that is amazing. How can someone learn more about DES veterans service programs? The best way to access information about the veteran services is to go our, to our website at the um, ArizonaAtWork.gov. And they can go in there and um, they'll see the links that will take you to explain what we do and how to contact a veterans workforce specialist locally. I would like to thank you, Javier, for coming on air with us to tell us more about what DES Veterans Service Programs has to offer to veterans. It was my pleasure, and I really encourage any veterans out there to please reach out to us. We would love to sit down and and work with you and answer any questions you may have. Coming up, I'll speak with Danielle Goldtooth. Support for Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health, located at 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road in Phoenix, and in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern Avenue and Extension Road. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and wellness services for the urban Native American community. COVID-19 vaccines are also provided at our Phoenix and Mesa locations for anyone over the age of 12. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Native Talk Arizona returns after this song. You are listening to Son of Indian Car by Keith Sakola. Screams, 
Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. On the phone with me is Danielle Goldtooth, mixologist for Wild Arizona Cuisine. Welcome to our show, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Actually, I would like to start off uh, with my with my introduction in uh, Dine, if you don't mind it at all. <laughs> no worries. Go ahead. All right. Yad es and yad boltooth yinishya. Sheayan and sheajitkachit yinishla. Naslam abashishin. Tentikin dashache. Naslam dashinella. And I'm originally from Shiprock, New Mexico. Grew up in Farmington. Um, and I am the uh, one of the owners of Wild Arizona Cuisine. And I run our beverage department. And can you let us know what is Wild Arizona Cuisine? Yeah, Wild Arizona Cuisine is a company owned by myself, Jaron Bates, and Brett Vibber, my business partners. Um, we do a num- number of things. Uh, the biggest one that we try to focus on is actually our interactive dining and our private dining, but we also do um, catering and collaborations with other things as well. Our interactive dining is more like uh, we'll take people out foraging and they'll be able to learn about the plants that we're taking them out on. And then we'll show them at the end of the day how we're able to create a meal out of that um, using supplements from other farmers and ranchers in the area. We try to focus on hyper-local things. So that's kind of our, our main main thing that we do. And you mentioned foraging. What is for foraging? Well, foraging to me is it's like it's a lot of work, actually. So the first thing is that it takes both a will to learn, to retain knowledge of the plant, um, to know the season, what can come from that season, and uh, tracking yearly what what has been like the rainfall and all of that kind of stuff to go with it, and how to 
picked more like a sustainable amount. So it's mostly going out into the wilderness and finding food. But to go along with that, you're looking at the seasons, you're looking at the time, and just taking a um, very good look at nature around you and seeing what nature can offer. And what sparked your interest in going into a career like this? Oh, gosh, a number of things. First off, it bartending and mixology was never number one on my uh, my to-do list of uh being, you know, 16 years old in high school and saying, I want to be a bartender. That wasn't really how that all got started. It really kind of got started on accident. I was uh, bartending at uh, one of the local watering holes in my hometown of Farmington, and uh, it was slinging drinks just to make ends meet to pay for college. Um, I have my associates in biology and general science from Dinette College, and uh, I used that to make sure that I didn't have any student debt or student loans. And when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, the intention was to continue bartending and to go to ASU, actually. And uh, when I got here, I realized that, number one, there wasn't a whole lot of women in bartending. And number two, there was almost a non-existent um, amount of people um, that were Native American bar- in bartending. Uh, So as I continued to go down and pursue this career path, uh, I I knew that there was a voice that needed to be in there and that somebody needed to have um, interactions that were positive around um, spirits and alcohol and the associations with Native Americans needed to change in some way or another. And I wanted it to be a positive rather than a negative thing. And so that pushed me to continue going through and uh, continue going on the career path that I was. And as I continued going forward, I met my mentors and people who were behind me, not only in my journey as a bartender, but um, believed in what it was that I was wanting to do. And that's to bring the forefront of, you know, something that's gonna be more of a positive interaction therein. I guess the other thing would be Uh, going into the food industry too you see all of these people who are doing you know world cuisine we have things coming from France we have things coming from Italy and I noticed that a lot of what they're using originally came from the Americas when you're talking about potatoes and tomatoes and chili peppers and all of these like really uh, these are American foods that have been transported to other places in the country I really wanted to bring these back home Um, back to where we were and, you know, talk about and educate uh, my guests about these things because uh, either they're not understanding or they don't know where it comes from. You ask somebody where the tomato comes from, a lot of people will say Italy. (laughs) So uh, it ended up being kind of almost a, a dream of mine to create a program that centered on Native American foods and foods that were here in the Americas and to build a drink program that's going to complement those foods. So that was uh, how I ended up being able to go through and do that. You mentioned that <laughs> um, a part of your your company, the Wild Arizona Cuisine, you guys do foraging items for your interactive dining. Do you forage items for items that you use for bartending as well? We sure do. Um, right now, uh, the Saguaro the saguaros are blooming. We're looking forward to uh, being able to pick those. We'll use those in juices and garnishes and syrups. 
And so depending on the season, let's say I have prickly pear, which will be coming out um, later on this year, uh, we'll take those and we'll juice them and I'll use the juices in some of the cocktails. So it's completely fresh when we're getting them and uh, we're transporting it right then and there. We try to use what's in season and what we can't use that's uh, in season and around. We're using different preservation tactics. Um, like not too long ago, we had a bunch of barrel cactus that came out and uh, we went and we picked all of those, but we candied some of them. We put some of them in um, syrup preserves. We put some of them to sit and ferment just to see what the heck they were going to do. Um, we went and uh, have done a few few other things like that with other types of fruits. And what are your favorite wild plants? Oh, gosh. One of my favorites is the acatillo. That thing is just so beautiful. Like during the during most of the year, you just see this stick that has all these little prickly things on it. And then during the springtime, you literally have like a firecracker of explosion of color when it turns all green. And then at the top, you have all these really pretty sprouts. And um, the flowers are just this bright red in the desert. And then when they're swaying in the wind, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. So that's uh, definitely my favorite desert plant. Um, when we're picking them, it's really fun because you have to bend them ever so gently and kind of back up as you're doing that. I like finding them off off of a hill so I can just kind of climb up the hill and find the blooms. But the blossoms are kind of like, uh, they taste a lot like honeysuckle. So if you took one of those little flowers off and you put it on your tongue, it has this very, very sweet taste. Um, it was used a lot for teas and such, uh, for actual like female menstruation to kind of help regulate things uh, traditionally. And uh, now it's more used just kind of like a, a really nice tea. I'll add some sumac to that depending on uh, depending on season and such. And I can do a, a sumac and a acatillo tea or acatillo lemonade, and it just comes out amazing. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't know there was a lot of things uh, that benefits when you use wild plants. Um, but Danielle, can you let us know where someone can go to contact you or to see um, where they can go for wild Arizona cuisine? Yeah, uh, most of our interactions are happening on Instagram right now. Uh, my personal Instagram is danielle.goldtooth. Um, so if you just find me at d-a-n-i-e-l-l-e dot g-o-l-d-t-o-o-t-h. And if people are interested in interactive dining or anything like that, we've got a wild Arizona cuisine. So at W-I-L-D-A-R-I-Z-O-N-A-C-U-I-S-I-N-E would be, um, you'd be able to find all of us on that one. So if you're interested in what Jaren's up to or what his profile looks like or what Brett's up to and what his profile looks like, what Alan's into and what his profile looks like, all of us are um, tagged in on that Wild Arizona cuisine, including myself. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you, Danielle. I would like to thank you for coming on air with us today to share more about your very unique career and also more about Wild Arizona Cuisine. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate you reaching out. Coming up next, I'll talk to Nadine Greinig about Save Our Schools, Native Talk Arizona returns after this break. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix, I'm host Lanasha Puati. On the phone with me is Nadine Greinig, Tribal Outreach Coordinator of Save Our Schools Arizona. Welcome to our show, Nadine. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Um, well, I'm a member of the Pueblo of Laguna, so I'm Galatsi in the main Suchieta. Um, my mother was full-blooded Laguna, and my father was Caucasian. So I was born in Albuquerque, and we moved to Tucson when I was five. Grew up in Arizona, and for most of my adult life, I have been working in Indian education. I was the director of Indian education for the State Department um, for about five years, um, but I was with the department all in all about 18 years. Um, I also started a nonprofit in 2007 called the Southwestern Institute for the Education of Native Americans, and I am not with the department anymore, um, but I do have my own LLC called Sun Clan Consulting. Wow, that's amazing. And, you are very busy, Nadine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I always am. And can you let us know what is Save Our Schools Arizona Network about? Well, Save Our Schools Arizona was, um, network was started by a group of teachers, um, and it's a grassroots effort to, to stop the um, bleeding, basically, of funds, public tax dollars that would normally go to public schools from going to private schools, and that happens through private school vouchers and tax credits. So these are public school teachers or higher ed teachers who, who saw that um, there was a need to stop that from happening because already our school districts, our public school districts, um, don't get enough funding. And then through these vouchers, they're losing more and more dollars all the time. And for those who may not realize, what kind of services do public schools provide? Yeah, well, obviously they provide an education. I mean, that's the basic thing. It's a K-12 public um, school education. But they also contribute holistically to the health of every community. So some examples of that are food. They have food services, um, computers, broad-based distribution. Now, those are the kinds of things that a lot of our schools do for our kids. And that was especially important with COVID and the impact of, um, of that on how our, our students learn. And because so many of our students don't have um, computers at home, and so some of our public schools were able to provide that to them. Um, but it's specifically on, on Navajo Nation. Um, many of the homes do not have internet connectivity and do, therefore, of course, do not have um, connection to distance learning. So many of the, the Navajo students, and it's probably true on some other reservations as well where there's high poverty, um, they were not able to participate in distance learning from the home. So they had to go to spots um, to find hot spots on the reservation. And from what I've been told, they were uh, inconsistent as far as being able to connect that way as well. So unfortunately, it's been a, a huge detriment to our, our native, native students, um, the COVID, the impact of COVID on their education. So there's been a big academic loss that way. But they also, public schools also provide, of course, um, wraparound services such as buses, uh, counseling. Um, they also do adult education. They provide psychologists, uh, libraries, arts education, etc. So there's there's a lot that our public schools offer um, to the overall uh, health of the community, health and, and the well-being of the communities you know that um, they're are located in. Can you let us know where does Arizona fall nationally in terms of state funding for public schools? Um, unfortunately, that's an easy question. We're last. We're dead last in the nation. 
and we've been headed that way in the last few years. We were, you know, near the bottom, and we finally got there. Um, it's obviously not something that I feel the state should be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that our public schools are receiving the least amount of public school dollars in the first place, and then having those dollars, you know, a lot of them going out of um, the schools and into private schools is very detrimental. And how does it impact Native American students to be recruited to private schools? Well, and that is happening a lot. The private schools on reservations or nearby are recruiting our Native students to go to these private schools. And these private schools don't necessarily have educators who know how to connect with our Native American students. They don't know the history of historical trauma on our students. They don't know culture. They don't know language um, of Native students. And they don't offer these kinds of programs where many public schools do. Um, They also don't have to report on the academic achievement of any of these students. They're not held accountable to the state or any other government agency to report their data. So, you know, that's kind of a a secret. (laughs) You know, um, they don't, we don't get to see how our individual students are doing. And these Native students, unfortunately, already as a subgroup, achieve at the lowest in, in the state. And that's basically true across the country, and that has to do with the lack of equity, um, poverty, as I mentioned before, not having computers in the home. Um, so those are all very um, impactful on our Native students. And so they may be going into these private schools, and their tuition is being paid by these vouchers, but the private schools don't need to, to keep them enrolled. They can, they can reject them. Um, the parents may not have enough money to keep it going because the vouchers don't necessarily cover the entire tuition, so the parents would have to make up the difference. Um, our Native students could go to these private schools and far, far, fall farther behind. And like I said, they won't have the kind of services that, that they would get in a public school. So they would end up going back to their public school, the majority of them would, and be even farther behind than they were when they left. And Nadine, can you let us know what is being done now with Save Our Schools Arizona? Um, Sure. Um, We actually have two sides to us. So there's a nonprofit side, which is a 501c3, and then there's uh, the side that's actually more politically active, which is a 501c4. And so I'm, I'm on the the nonprofit side, and my job is to do outreach, kind of like what I'm doing today, and that's just to inform the, the community uh, as to what's happening, because many people, of course, are not necessarily politically involved or politically aware, um, and so that's my job to make Native Americans and the community uh, aware of what's going on. And so the other, my counterparts uh, keep abreast of all of the Senate activity um, for every session. And, of course, we're, we're currently in session right now, the legislature is. And the, the current bill that has been proposed is Senate Bill 1452. That's the latest attempt to expand private school vouchers. And we, we already lose more than $300 million a year to private school vouchers. Um, so what needs to happen is the, the public needs to, first of all, be aware, and then they need to sign up to, to speak um, whenever there's a, a session or a committee meeting about any of this, uh, the Senate bills that have been proposed 
or anything to do with private school vouchers, people need to speak up and to make their position uh, known to these legislators. Now, that can still be a very frustrating activity because the private school vouchers were put to a vote uh, several years ago, and it was voted down. The, the people, the public, spoke through their vote and said, we do not want private school vouchers in this state. Unfortunately, the governor and the legislature ignored that vote, and they moved forward to expand them anyway, and they're trying to do it again. So Senate Bill 1452 was passed through the House, but it's, it's been held up now, um, and we're hoping that they won't have enough votes to actually approve the bill and sign it into law. But, um, yeah, it's very important to remember that these people are supposed to be representing us and what we, you know, what we want to have happen in our state, and they're ignoring us. So that's just something to keep in mind next time you go to vote. (laughs) Um, You know, are these people working in the best interest of our public schools? And 95% of Arizona citizens choose public school. That's where their children go to school. So, again, um, legislators and the governor need to listen to, to the, those voices. Oh, yes, definitely. And the community as a whole can stand up and also see what they can do to reverse the impact on public fundings. Um, Nadine, mm-hmm. can you let us know where we can go to find out more information? Sure. You can go to um, it's the website for Save Our Schools is S-O-S-A-Z Network, so all one word, S-O-S-A-Z Network.org. And then the phone number is 480-621-2932. Well, I would like to thank you, Nadine, for coming on air with us today, for telling us more about what Save Our School Arizona Network is doing for our public schools. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Coming up next, I'll talk to Marlena Robbins. Native Talk Arizona returns after this song. You are listening to Singing Lights by Tony Duncan and Darren Yazzie.
Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. On the phone with me is Marlena Robbins, visual artist, expressive art facilitator, and owner of Nahasan Pigments. Welcome to our show, Marlena. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, first and foremost, yes, uh, my name is Marlena Robbins. I'm from Crystal, New Mexico. Uh, I am Dene, Dene Nishle, Navajo. And um, I'm a mom. I'm a visual artist. I am an expressive art facilitator. All those things that you've listed, that's what I'm, I'm encompassing at the moment. I recently graduated with my master's from an, uh, Arizona State University with uh, Indigenous Rights and Social Justice, the American Indian Studies Department. I'm, you know, still, uh, still experimenting with the natural pigment making process. And, um, and right now, currently, uh, I am offering uh, mindful art mindful art series mindful art programming wow that's amazing and welcome marlena i'm also uh i read that in your bio yes um so how did you see art as a form of spiritual expression so i came into art uh about eight years ago after my son was born and you know i had been surrounded by art for the like almost all my life different artists have come in and out and i've never really at that time you know especially in high school i had a a boyfriend who um made santa clara style pottery and he would take me to all the shows and indian market the herd show so i would kind of get a a back behind the scenes um perspective of that art world and I never, it was more so like observe, but be not a part of for me. And um, it didn't really, art didn't really come into my my life. I didn't start practicing it or experimenting with the creative process until after my son was born. And his dad and I went to a paint night uh, where you pay $50 and you get a canvas and brushes and acrylic and recreate. Um, I recreated Van Gogh's Starry Night. And I fell in love with it. I, I you know, I, I couldn't put the brush down. I just, the strokes and the colors and the blending, and it just became this very meditative state for me that allowed me to kind of reconnect. It allowed me to reconnect with myself because at the time I was a new mom, I was in school, I was, you know, dealing with all of these different stressors, um, external stressors that, that didn't allow me to take a breath. It didn't allow me to take some time for myself. And for my birthday that year, um, I asked my family for all these different art materials, a canvas, a easel, brushes, paints, um, and they came through and they bought me my very first art painting setup and I commandeered the kitchen table and I said, this is mine. Like, I, I, I need this space. This is for me. Like, I love you guys. You can have every other part of the apartment, but this is mine and it allowed me to um 
take a take a breather and and say you know what all this bills and drama and school and work and you know I go away for a little bit let me let me come back to myself let me recenter let me refocus and um and it 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 since then it's um been my medicine it's been my therapy it's been my go-to and uh that's what my objective has turned into is to introduce art as a healthy outlet and a form of self-expression and a form of um release and uh reflection ultimately wow thank you for sharing that marlena you make me want to do art (laughs) even though i'm horrible (laughs) at it (laughs) no i hear that too you know i I, um i was the expressive art facilitator of community bridges which is a substance abuse and behavioral health nonprofit. and so it was a program that they didn't have when um, i first started there i started out as the uh, assistant to the ceo and uh, i I proposed a new program. Um, I laid out all of the who, what, when, where, how, why. I went to some conf- uh, mindful art, expressive art conferences, and I built this program for the the organization. Um, you know, built the budget and all the supplies that were needed. I went and did site visits to detox and residential sites, all the sites that were run by CBI, and. Um, I uh, started implementing this program, so they they allowed me they they gave me this program to run, and um, so I would go into the detox centers and people detoxing off of some pretty horrendous um, drugs, heroin, cocaine, um, and then also people who were dealing with uh, their own behavioral health issues, um, paranoid schizophrenia, um, bipolar issues, depression. And um, I would do these art programs, these art, art, uh, expressive artwork workshops with them. And I had built a, a, a book of um, art activities, a year's worth of art activities, which showed the, told the, the materials that were needed, um, the description of the activity, and then the discussion that we had after. So what was this experience like for you? What was this? Um, you know, what is something you can take away from this art workshop? And I, I, exactly what you said, you know, I'm not good at art. I would hear that all the time. I'm not good at art. I can only draw stick figures. And it would, um, you know, I would say that's okay. A dot is a line that went for a walk. And it's still art. It's still you know, you're still creating something. You're still using your hands or your your mind to think something through and problem solve how you want to create it. Whether, you know, art is meaningful, where you put a lot of intention into it, a lot of designs, a lot of color preparation, or it can be meaningless, where you're just randomly taking colors and putting it on the piece of paper or the canvas. Um, you know, it, it's... Uh, there's the, and I think there's also a stigma related to art where it has to be a Picasso or Monet or these very Eurocentric, esteemed artisans, master of the arts that we hold ourselves up to, to that standard of art. And, and I, that's not fair. It's not art needs to be supported in our public school education systems in, at a very young age in order for children to feel worthy of it when they reach our age as adults 
and they can say, you know, I draw stick figures, but they're the best stick, stick figures in the world, in my reality, and 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 being proud of, be proud of your stick figures. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely, art is a really good method, like you said, that can help with a variety of different things, like healing, cope, or just expressing yourself. Um, where do you see yourself and mindful art in five years? I've been looking into different art therapy schools and maybe becoming a licensed art therapist. Um, I'm also looking at a PhD program at UC Berkeley and focusing on art therapy and the usage of uh, uh, sacred plant medicines, the integration of sacred, sacred plant medicines and art therapy. Yeah, I would love to go back home to work on the reservation and work with the populations doing art therapy. I don't know if there's any programs out there that incorporate um, the creative process. I'm, I'm still researching different um, art therapy programs within Indigenous nations, but I, I feel like that's the direction I'm going in. Yeah, I've... I, art has helped me through so much in life, and I want to be able to give that back and, and share it. And can you share with us, how can someone learn more about mindful art? So I currently offer, well, I'm getting into the, into the process of offering um, mindful art via Zoom. So I want to start offering expressive art workshops uh, via Zoom maybe once or twice a week. And anybody can sign up, and it's on a, um, a hopefully donation-based, and uh, you know, do an hour, hour and a half Zoom session with individuals or as a group. And uh, there's different activities that I've been able to do, like uh, in the emotions wheel. It's uh, it's asking the participant to identify and express their emotions through art. So it's a wheel that's broken up into eight sections. And within the, each of those sections, you identify an emotion that you felt within the past week, within the past month, within the past year, and you associate it with a, with a drawing or a picture or a design or a color. And then um, it allows the participant to reflect on the emotions that, that um, they've been feeling, to identify them, to acknowledge them, to accept them, um, and ultimately forgive them or reconcile with them in their own way and to talk about them in a very safe and inclusive space. And, and I've, I've done this activity with um, just within the past few months uh, with Santa Fe Indian School, with Creighton Middle School, and so with a, a wide age range of six years old to 60 years old. You know, it's a way to open up those doors of communication for families and for individuals to find um, comfort and to find, you know, a, a very inviting space to be able to talk about their emotions and, and what they're thinking and what they're feeling and saying, oh, you're going through that as well. I've been going through that. And let me hear your story. And, you know, you never know how when you share your story, it'll affect, it'll affect someone. And um, I think that's, that's, uh, it's important. And I'm so glad you mentioned the emotional wheel activity because you are going to be offering a virtual class with Native Health on June 11th. So if anybody is listening, keep a lookout for her class and we'll be opening registrations um, soon for her class on June 11th. 
But Marlena, yeah. can you let us know where someone can go to find out more information about you? Yes. Yeah, so I have a few. I have an Instagram, which is um, the Nahadzan Pigments. It's N-A-H-A-S-D-Z-A-A-N Pigments. Um, and then there's also my website, which is MarlenaRobbinsArt.com. Perfect. I would like to thank you, Marlena, for coming on air with us today to share with us more about art and all the method that art um, gets us through. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Native Talk Arizona, produced through a partnership between Native Health and Radio Phoenix. Our sound engineer is Javier Quiroga, and the executive producer is Susan Levy. I'm Lanasha Pwadi, host of Native Talk Arizona. A reminder that Native Health offers COVID-19 vaccines at our Phoenix and Mesa locations for anyone over the age of 12. To register, go to our website at nativehealthphoenix.org. Join us again next week. If you have any questions, please email us at nativetalkaz at radiophoenix.org.